Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, and this week I am not joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. He is on a much-deserved trip with his wife. Um, They got some time to get away this week, and so we invited our our good friend, Ben Peterson, who uh, was able to speak on Sunday and share his testimony and share about his organization and really offer a challenge to the church to be a soldier for Christ, and um, man, it was so good. They got hot. It got it got a little toasty, got a little spicy in there. <laughs> it was great, and so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just dive in with Ben today, and and talk through his organization and what he's doing, some amazing things that he's doing with soldiers, um, with our military, and I want him to kind of share his testimony, maybe share a little bit about yourself. Where where are you from? Because any time that I interact with someone new at Conduit, um, and you are a Conduit, and you guys have been here a couple of years. But every time I meet a new family, I, yeah. I ask the same question, where are you from? Because no one is from here. Nope. Nine out of 10 are not from the Nashville area. So I'm going to assume, I'm going to guess you're not from here. Yeah. You can tell by the accent. <laughs> the Northern accent comes oh, out. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're going to do it right. <laughs> you call it a hot plate or a casserole? Oh, it's a casserole. Oh, it's a casserole. Okay. Casserole. That's, that's like a typical Northern expression. I'm from Ohio, but... Ohio's not as north as Minnesota. Dude, you get around you get around Minnesotans and it's oh geez, well yeah. <laughs> so good. And then you get around the northern family that lives in the farms up north yeah. and stuff, and it's well yeah, if you wanna do it right. <laughs> it's, it's that thick. Dude, that's good. It's intense. You have family from up there. So oh, I mean yeah. you just grown up. Oh yeah. Around I was, it. I was a proud Nordic cutting mm. holes in the ice, go swimming really? in the middle of twenty below. Oh, ice yeah. fishing. Oh yeah. I, well, ice fishing, but ice swim, swimming. Polar uh, polar what? plunges. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's gonna rub up, rub off, rub Dude, off it's, on me. <clears throat> it's it's sad. I mean, I I never thought I'd leave if God hadn't called me. You yeah. know, I wouldn't have left, and if my state hadn't gone straight to the the, the southern region, yeah. <laughs> I, it's it sucks what's happened up there, but you know, God's called us here, and, yeah. and He's worked it all for good, and the work He's doing with us here with the military, He made it. He made the way. So. You were you were enlisted mm-hmm. at some point. Like what what led you into this life? Yeah, this um, the military background. Uh, at some point, you made a decision to enlist. Yeah, what, what led up to that? Well, you know, my dad um, was just like a World War II historian, and he just poured over stories and books. And as I shared a conduit, he helped veterans tell their stories. So he would find. It's not like he went looking for it. He just uh, he was a a salesman that worked for the Minnesota Zoo. So he would work with all the big Fortune 500 companies there and have them bring in their, you know, different um, companies to the zoo. And then he would meet veterans in different experiences. And then he would say, hey, can I sit down with you? And then he would just spend weeks, months, years helping them tell their stories, get some of their stories published in magazines. He even wrote a book. Really? Yep, on on the Bataan Death March, uh, a survivor from that. And uh, so I just grew up watching my dad be a part of and be a conduit uh, of setting veterans free and helping them find peace. And, you know, in, in, in my family with my dad, the greatest thing you could do with your life is serve in the military and go to combat. 
So when 9-11 happened, you know, I was sitting, uh, getting ready for English class um, in homeroom and Stacy Furness came on, you know, the loudspeaker crying saying, you know, the World Trade Center has been hit. And I, even, I didn't even know what that meant. Were you in high school? Yeah, I was in ninth grade. Oh my gosh, man. And, you know... Darren always says how old he feels when I make references of where I was at certain times of his life. For you to say you were a freshman in high school during 9-11 yeah. makes me feel so old. Yeah, it's brutal. But yeah, well, yeah. And then you talk to kids wow. that are in the military now and they, they right. weren't even born yet. That's true. But yeah, you know, I saw that happen and I knew, you know, so I joined at 17 and... Um, really? At 17? Yeah, as, as early. I think it was, I joined like March uh, and my birthday was in February, so it was about a month after I turned 17. And uh, it was hard to get moms. So they, they both have to sign. So mom okay. and dad have to sign. And it was hard to get mom. We kind of had to pin her down and get her to do it. But, um, yeah, so I had a I had an 18 x-ray slot, which would be a slot to go uh, special forces. And um, that was my dream. And, you know, I got bullied pretty good in high school and uh, had, some, had some tough moments there. And so I had a lot of anger. And, you know, I wanted to go and be a really bad dude. And I, I wasn't in very good shape. Um, you know, I wasn't. High school sports or anything? A little bit, but I was I was more in the plays and singing. And, really? Yeah, I was I was a music major in college. Come like, on, music was my. I uh, did not know that about you. Yeah, I mean, when I was in third grade, uh, I was in Mrs. Weaver's music class, and I was just a tyrant of a nightmare of a you know ADHD <laughs> kid. And um, as a <laughs> as a punishment, she made me get up in front of the class and sing a solo because she thought it'd be a punishment. And I freaking crushed it. Nailed it. And she was like, where did that come from? And I'm like, well, you know, you gave me an opportunity. Whoa. So that's where all that started. To, and I just, so I was in the plays, I was in speech, I was in debate, I was in, you know, the traveling choirs, okay. and all the play, all, all that kind of stuff. And um, so then I joined the military and I'm like, dude, I got to get in shape. Um, but then I, I had this special forces slot, but I failed the colorblind test. So they, they take this test and it's got all these different colors on it. And typically I can tell you if like something's blue or green, but you put all these colors together and I, I couldn't see it. So I failed that. And um, so you can't be in the special forces if you're colorblind. Like if you got to cut the green wire, you know. got to know. Shades yeah, green, that's kind of a big deal. You know, boom. <laughs> uh, so, the, so they offered me the job of a chaplain's assistant that apparently chaplain assistants can be colorblind. And uh, I guess if you're going to serve God in the military, you don't need to see colors. Um. But that was a cool moment for me because I just, I felt just this presence. It was the first time, you know, anyone who's feel called to ministry, I'm sure you can relate. There's just this moment that you can't describe where you feel called. And, and I just felt, you know, the Lord say, you know, I've got a calling on your life. That first moment that it was like, okay, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to serve in the chaplain corps in the military. And off we went. So off, off you went to where? Because you, you, what city did you grow up in? Grew up in, um, right outside of Minneapolis, a suburb of Minneapolis. So out of Minneapolis, at your next step is to head to where? Where did you? Yeah, so I went to Fort Jackson for basic training. Where's Fort Jackson? Um, that's in South Carolina. So that's quite a difference. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, well, it's 100% humidity. It's in the it's middle of summer. I, I remember standing in formation one time because they would make you stand in the sun in formation for an hour or two at a time as punishment, right? And I remember standing there and there was so much sweat built up in my cap. I leaned forward and a river of sweat just started dripping down my front. I mean, I had never experienced anything like that. And how long were you there? So, I mean, basic training is like 12 weeks. Um, and then, you know, we did our advanced individual training, which was to become a chaplain's assistant. 
Um, and you know, it's really interesting because I, I want to do all this hua, you know, military stuff. And I went to chaplain assistant school and I quickly found out like to assist the chaplain, like if you're a dumb monkey, you can do it, right? You just got to support him. But we haven't lost a chaplain in combat, um, you know, since, uh, since Vietnam. And, uh, and then before that, and we lost one chaplain in Vietnam because he, and he actually won the medal of honor doing it. He was in the 101st airborne and this dude, they were in the middle of a, a massive firefight and he got in the fight and went nuts saving guys lives. And like for eight hours was just carrying bodies out and, and ended up getting killed himself. But before that, um, there was a Navy ship that went down in World War II and a Jewish chaplain, a Catholic chaplain and a Protestant chaplain all died together ministering to soldiers as they were dying. So those are the only chaplains that have died in combat. And um, so there's just this like hardcore model, like you will not let your, if the chaplain dies, the unit is screwed. Because the chaplain can kind of be like a good luck omen kind of a thing because you have so many pagans and like non-faith people. Sure. And they look at that chaplain like, all right, if Chaps is alive, we're good. If Chaps is on the convoy with us, we're safe. Stuff like that. And it was just like, we're going to train you. And so I went through like a mini version of infantry school um, to be prepped to protect this guy when we went to combat. And, um, and yeah, so I went through all of that <clears throat> and then um, deployed to Iraq when I was uh, 21 years old. Okay, so that was how many how many years then? So after nine eleven was that? So I went to Iraq in two thousand and eight. So that would have been seven years after. And this was at the point where you know Bush was at the end of his um, end of his time, and it was like, uh, okay, we're going to do the surge. You know, we're going to try and really just send. I mean, I think that we're up to like almost half a million, or maybe like you know it was like three hundred thousand soldiers over there. It wouldn't have been half a million, then half the military, but it was like. 250 to 300,000 that were on the ground. And so I was a part of that. And then he finished his time and then Obama got elected. Um, but uh, yeah, it was crazy. Like the difference between 2008 and 2009, because the surge started at the end of 07 and went into 08. And then you just had this massive influx of troops. So like what I experienced combat wise in 2008 versus 2009 was like two different wars, completely different. So you were there for how long then? A year. So just a year. I can only it was imagine. a long time. I was going to say, I can only imagine <laughs> a year here compared to a year there. Yeah. Probably feels like an eternity. It was a long time. About all your friends and family back home and holidays and birthdays and all the things that you miss. What did you miss the most? Boy. Um, you know, I went over there and I was single. And like, I was really glad I was because so many of the guys were just, it was just brutal walking out their marriages and relationships and stuff. So like, I didn't really miss um, any, like a girlfriend or anything like that. But you know what I missed now that I think about it, I missed the presence of God. So what's fascinating is when I was 21, just before I got deployed, I got filled with the Holy Spirit at a prayer meeting um, at this church I had started going to. I mean, like filled with the Holy Spirit. I had a radical encounter with God. And then I got, <clears throat> I had a few months to really like get used to God's presence and like, man, walking in the spirit and things like that. And then I went to combat and I did not feel God's presence for an entire year. Why? I mean, powers, principalities, demonic strongholds, that, that land is cursed. You could feel it. Oh, it, it is a dark, hor it is a horrible, horrible place. People have no idea how free and blessed America is. And this was specifically, you said Iraq, right? Uh-huh. So 
Babylonian area era. Yep. Area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, even when I studied abroad in Israel years later, I remember we went to Jordan and came back. And I remember when we drove the bus from Jordan into, into Israel, you know, there were like 40 of us on the bus and we all commented, did, did you feel that? You know, we've had this conversation on this podcast before. Darren and I have discussed that different areas, even in the United States, mm-hmm. where we have traveled, you know, him and I have had an opportunity to travel quite a bit. Yeah. And the different areas of the country where you can feel that, mm-hmm. where you can feel a difference. Yeah. And um, I've mentioned it before, but even even back in Ohio, like there's 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 a, an oppression that you can feel. Um, so that's interesting that that was the case for you in the Middle East in certain regions. Oh yeah, and I I remember coming home <clears throat> and going to Bible study that first Thursday, and I just bawled and wept wept as I was feeling God's presence for the first time in a year. So uh, when you're over there, were you, are, are there, do they have chapel services? Yep. Are there, and so th- that's Sunday. like a regular routine um, because of it being in the middle of a, a war or a conflict. Are those guys more receptive to what's being taught or to having the opportunity to ask questions about the Bible and, and Jesus? Like, What's the what's the temperament there? Yeah, it, it had to do with circumstances. Um, a lot of guys were able just to get into a routine and kind of just hide and and um, isolate. Actually, you know, in their we call them our shoes. That's like your your one or two man room. Never never one man two man room. Although officers had their own private rooms. Um, but it was it was fascinating how combat illuminated and woke people up like crazy, and then other people that pushed them further away. Um, and you know, we were, there were a lot of different circumstances that took place. So my first week in combat, seven of our guys were killed in a helicopter that went down. But my chaplain counseled over a hundred soldiers in 30 hours. He was up all night straight, just one devastated soldier after another. Did the memorial service, saddest thing I've ever been a part of. And then the next day, it was like it never even happened. Everyone just went right back to work. Yep. And then, you know, there were other circumstances that happened, you know, throughout the year where like there'd be these upticks of, you know, uh, mortar attacks or, you know, things that would happen. Or um, we were a combat aviation brigade, so we flew medevacs, gunships, and taxi cab rides between bases. So there'd be things that would happen out, you know, in combat that would then kind of wake people up when people almost die or they get in a combat scenario or whatever. And then when that's over and things, because there's so much hurry up and waiting. And like, right, right. I mean, I remember one, you know, night there was a, a massive mortar attack on the opposite side of our base. 11 soldiers were injured and like two were killed. And I remember, I mean, I remember right where I was. I remember hearing it hit. I remember just all that going down and then nothing would happen. For it. And it was just silence. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happened again. And so that, that, that's just combat. It's a lot of monotony with a handful of seconds of sheer terror. And so these guys experience this, this terror, this trauma, losing, losing their um, friends. All of that happens over the course of a year, two years, maybe four or five years that they're over there. They come home. Then what? How do they reintegrate? How do they deal with these things they've experienced Mm -hmm. back home with their families, probably trying to reconcile what just happened. 
what do you, what what do you experience with these guys? What did you experience with yourself when you came back home? Well, my <clears throat> my situation was a little unique in that. Um, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to go forward. So I grew up because so much of trauma is where we've come from, and for the majority of veterans, um, their trauma or what they happen and have happened to them in combat is like just gasoline on their fire that's already burning of issues. So my dad had obsessive compulsive disorder. He was the son of a Lutheran minister who beat my dad very regularly. Fists, belts, all that kind of stuff. So my dad like had to have everything perfect and when it wasn't, he would lose his mind. And then my mom has uh, borderline personality disorder. So she's either on top of the world or on the bottom. There's no in between. She's like, she's seriously like a toddler emotionally. <clears throat> and then uh, both my parents are sugar addicts, you know, would just eat an entire birthday cake like in a night. That was, that was normal. Um, and then my dad, you know, was an alcoholic, a pill addict. And when I was 17, he had a complete mental breakdown. So in learning about the brain and the impact of, you know, those first two years of every child, every child is looking to have two questions answered, Mo. Am I worthy of love? And can my caretaker meet my needs? Am I good enough? And am I, am I lovable? That, that, that's all it comes down to. And because the child's brain is weaker than the caretaker's brain, it attaches to that stronger brain through that skin-to-skin -skin connection. And so, so much of the things that we train on in the military is that history is who we are and why we are the way we are, which is why I'm such a history nut. Um, our history is who we are and why we are the way we are. So I say all that to say, if you think about the emotional capacity of my parents, Screaming, raging was a normal thing. It was normal for my dad to shove me around, you know, getting bullied, um, rejected from girls at school, like all those kinds of things begin to um, develop this emotionally extremely volatile person. So as a kid, you know, I turned to sugar. I got chubby really, really young. Um, pornography at age nine. Then it was, um, you know, alcohol, marijuana, stealing my dad's pills, all that kind of stuff. Then I joined the military and then I go to combat. Right. So it was about four months into our tour, uh, a suicide bomber blew up a school outside of our base. So one of the things a lot of people don't understand about the Middle East is that there's really four main groups that make up the Middle East. You have the, the basically two versions of the Muslims of the Shia and the Sunnis, and you got the Jews and you got the Turks. Right. And Shias and Sunnis <clears throat> hate each other. And which is really fun to get into when you try to understand geopolitics and what's happening in Israel right now. Anyways, um, this was a Shia Sunni thing. Sunni suicide bomber blowing up a Shia school had nothing to do with the military, had nothing to do with us. Right. And, um, did that. And then our base hospital took in a bunch of these kids and I was in there with my chaplain as they brought in a bunch of these kids. And I saw a little girl with half of her face missing and other kids with limbs missing and things like that. And I just, I, you know, I'm in a combat zone, you know, you're dealing with extreme challenges all the time. You're stressed out. You know, losing guys our first week in combat put everyone on this level of stress where a freaking cup of coffee was like a shouting match. And, and that's overstating a little bit, but literally everything was so intense. And I remember, I remember sitting and I would pause and I would go, guys, does this conversation or this decision have to be this big of a deal? Because everything... Because you've, you've set your foundation of the tour of seven, seven KIA. 
And so I came home and it was literally three, four weeks after I came home, I had a nightmare that I was ripping little kids apart with my bare hands. 22 years old. Um, I have no emotional resources whatsoever developed into me. Um, going and doing anything healthy when you're triggered or upset or anything like that was, and I'm not a victim, but this is just where I'm at, right? This, this was my circumstance. I didn't know how to healthily cope with anything. And so when I wake up from that and I'm pouring sweat, I'm having a panic attack, and I'm basically like, you know, feeling a level of shame that you can't even begin to describe because I'm a monster in my dreams. I'm a villain. I am the villain. I'm doing these things. And I'm just giving you, there's way more to this, right? I'm just giving you a, a, a glimpse. Snapshot. A snapshot of this. There's stuff that's even worse, right? <clears throat> and so like that was happening in my dreams. And so I just began to spiral because I, I didn't know how to cope. Now this is really important information for all of us in our country, in the military, as, as people of the faith, because right now, 62% of those who join the military have a past of, of physical or sexual abuse. You shared that on Sunday. I couldn't believe it was that high. Oh, yeah. I, I'd heard, I'd heard uh, elements of that, but I did not realize it was on Sunday. Oh, yeah. So now what's fascinating and some of the science behind it is that you have basically people that... Um, get abused, beat up, bullied, or sexually messed up with, right? Messed around with. And there's this majority of them that want to become a protector. There's this, this reaction to it. I have not been protected. Interesting. So now I have this indescribable urge to protect, which is what I felt. And then you have a small percentage um, that then become predators, which is why rape is so high in the military. Because again... Sure. Yeah. you're either going to become a protector or a predator or by becoming a protector, you still have a dark side of you to want to be a predator. And um, when I was starting to really unravel at 22 years old, you know, it was, it was going to the bars. It was, you know, girls. And, and this is, you know, I talk a lot about shame and <laughs> I want you to imagine 22 years old, already have such a past of zero emotional, you know, resourcing. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been out on the streets praying for people to get healed, to give their lives to Christ. I've been in a combat zone holding people as they are sobbing. I've been with people processing their wives cheating on them and me praying for them. I've been the man of God. And now I'm back in sin. I'm drinking. I'm partying. I'm a villain in my dreams. And that's what I like to call the washing machine of death. How long was that season for you? So, you know, I kept that up for about three, four months. Um, and then I truly just reached like the end of myself. Um, and I was out one night um, until bar closed, got home at three o'clock in the morning and I had a handgun <clears throat> loaded 357. Um, and, and I know, looking back on it now, that Satan was just trying to kill me. Every We can get in the mental health of suicide, and there's a lot of truth and power there, but at the end of the day, it's a spirit of death. That It's, it's one mission in life, and it, it's half-life, demonic life, is to kill people, period. And I know Satan was trying to kill me, 
because I had lost hope and, and I was just sitting there going, well, I, I don't want to blow my brains out, but I have no hope. And that makes more sense than a hopeless life. And, you know, I made a phone call um, and a mentor of mine picked up the phone at three o'clock in the morning and I was just sobbing and I was just saying like, why, why is this happening to me? Why did these guys die in combat? Like, why am I having these dreams? Why? Why is this happening? And he basically said to me, my mentor, he said, Ben, that's how the disciples felt when they lost Jesus. They said that these men followed Jesus for three years. They watched him do the impossible, touch people, heal people, love people. And they were like in the inner circle of the most popular person, most powerful person in the last, you know, since Elijah or something like that, right? And they were in with the dude. And then one day, he just gets led away, beaten. and They were completely lost. In that moment, they had no hope. God said, then that's where you are. But if you will trust God, you will put your faith in him. He's going to take this pain and use it to do greater things. Imagine, but you got to trust him. Because that's what he did with the disciples. He took them in their worst, revealed to them why they went through what they went through, which is the greatest victory the world has ever known in Christ dying for us. And they went and changed the world. 2.6014387 billion people now follow Jesus because of those 12 men. And Scott said, he's going to turn this for good. So that really put some hope into my heart. It did not fix my mental health. Jesus did not come in and deliver me from my emotional issues, which I think is a whole thing we could spend a minute on. But I had hope and the hope of salvation. Salvation means wholeness. And I've been spending the last 14 years of my life, up until last night and into this morning, continuing to fight for wholeness and, and to be refined by Christ, which is what salvation is. It's a one-time free gift and it's a lifestyle of becoming whole. Um, which it's a, uh, for any veteran who's been through these things, it's a couple of things about that story that I want to call out that I think is incredible. One is that you had a mentor and two, that that mentor picked up the phone at three in the morning. That's, yeah. that's powerful. People don't do that anymore. I think it's important to mention that if you don't have a mentor, to, to find one. Oh, yeah. To, to buddy up with someone that's uh, seasoned, that's gone before you, that, um, that can speak into your life and that can be available in the darkest of moments. Um, what a powerful thing. If you hadn't picked up the phone, you would have probably felt less hope than you already had, which oh, yeah. was already zero. You've now devoted your life to helping those guys that were just like you, that are just like you now all over the country, but specifically here in kind of our backyard a little bit. Yeah. Well, we got a big backyard with 26,000 soldiers <laughs> in it. Fort Campbell. Talk about, talk about your organization. I mean, you, be, because of this experience that you just shared and you detailed, it has driven you to start an organization to help veterans to, to give them spiritual readiness, to uh, help them walk through their emotional and mental health. Mm -hmm. 
tell us a little bit about that. You know, it's been a, uh, I feel like it's been eight, I, I founded it in 2016. And it's really been eight years of pivoting and grinding. They say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, right? We're far from, we're not at year 10 yet. You know what I'm saying? And it's, uh, it's been this journey because we started getting on active duty bases and really doing a lot of evangelism work. We hadn't gotten into the emotional mental health space yet. And because I hadn't gotten there yet, I hadn't faced. Yeah, good point. I was single, wasn't married yet. Um, and I could go and I could work my little butt off and do all and do all the song and dance. Then I could come home and crash for two days and be single and alone and recharge. And then I could go back out and do it again. When you have a wife and a kid, <laughs> that is not how it works. Priorities shift pretty quick. Exactly. So, you know, um, found, you know, founder syndrome of like, you know, the, op op the organization goes as the founder goes. But we were really, you know, leading just thousands of soldiers to Christ through doing these motivational talks and inviting them to stick around and hear about our faith. So was that know, in statewide or were you, were you traveling overseas? All, of the, all over the country. Okay. Yeah. State, oh, so yeah. All like over the bases. United States. Yep. Okay. All over the United States. Yeah. And, you know, chaplains bring me in. I would do this song and dance motivational talk about doing great things. Hey, do you want to stick around and hear about my faith? Someone leave, someone stay. And we would just, you know, we saw, you know, probably over four or 5,000 soldiers come to Christ before COVID. So COVID hits and um, every base shut down for almost two years. You couldn't come on if you weren't, a, if you, weren't you know, authorized mandatory personnel. Oh. So we pivoted online because these chaplains basically like had to still keep doing services, but they had to do them in small groups. Excuse me. And so chaplains were being asked to do like 15 services on a Sunday. It was insane. And we thought three was tough on this yeah. past Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So we, so we basically spun up this, you know, uh, military chapel, COVID proof, right? And made that a resource and that's how we survived COVID. And it, it got to the point where we had... Rangers in Afghanistan in 2020 were being discipled by our weekly teachings. Yep. They had a on fire, you know, captain who loved Jesus and they would do, um, engage your destiny church. And then they would do financial peace. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so God just used that. And then, um, you know, I just to spend a minute on this, God had really given me a very clear vision of doing an event for Vietnam veterans. And, um, I, I had this just moment with the Lord where I saw this massive stadium filled with thousands of Vietnam vets um, crying and healing because they were being welcomed home and those guys were crapped on when they got home. Yeah. Um, and we, we executed on that event, you know, over 35,000 uh, military veterans and their families uh, showed up at that event at Daytona last year. It was just a healing event. You know, we had Toby Keith and Ron DeSantis and this whole thing just to like celebrate America, but to like, welcome those guys home. Um, and that was an amazing, it was really fulfilling a vision that God had given us. Um, and we finished that and it just didn't make sense organizationally or financially to do more of them. Um, and I'm just in this place of, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And that's where he really called us back to the base, which is the work that we're doing now. Um, and these doors began to open and it really became fascinating because it's, if, if you're going to come with a message to a, grunt and and you can't talk about Jesus, how do I add value in a way that is going to fulfill the great commission, right? That is going to um, make, give validity of why they're going to want to hear about your faith, that is going to really, 
you know, um, feed them before you ask them to follow them as Jesus always did. He was constantly feeding people, eating with people, eating with tax collectors and sinners before he called them somewhere. And, you know, we really got into this mental health space and understanding even more in the emotional health. And of course, this is all as I'm newly married, we have a brand new son, we've just moved to Tennessee and everything of my undealt with crap. Oh man, rises to the top. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, the hardest years of my life have been in the last two or three, you know? Um, and it just was this experience of, okay, I'm newly married, you know, we are at each other's throats. We're looking at each other saying, are we going to make it right? And, and we say, all right, we, we have to get into counseling to save our marriage because we know God called us to be together. And Rachel was just a gangster about that. We're where we are today because of her and the ministry and the work we're doing is because of her. Oh, absolutely. And I could have, I could have ran away from it, but I knew that I had to fight for it. And she fought for the emotional mental health of our, of our marriage, which is now bearing fruit in our ministry. What did you learn through that process? Oh God. So, um, so going back, you know, as I was talking about, you know, am I worthy of love? Can my caretaker meet my needs? So much of who we are is our history. And so when we go in and we're training these soldiers, you know, I'm being very vulnerable with, vulnerable with them about my dad, about my mom, about the situation that I grew up in, about going to combat, about basically the story that I just told, and then getting into the science of how the body works and, and what is taking place because there is so much power in understanding and in knowledge as, as um, Proverbs teaches us. So in a nutshell, when we understand these, a, a few basic breakdowns of the body, first is the nervous system, and the second is the way that the brain is formed. So the nervous system is broken up into two parts. You have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. You're sympathetic when I'm talking to soldiers. I'm like, this is your fight or flight and ability to discern, do I need to put rounds down range or do I need to get away because this is going to kill me? period. Fight or flight is, am I going to fight this or am I going to get away from it? Yeah. You don't have time to think about it. It's just, yep. Do it. Hit. Boom. Yeah. And your parasympathetic is the natural way for your body that God designed to rest and to digest information, healthy process, process without uh, nicotine, without alcohol, without pornography, without any of those things, which, which we have been conditioned to use food, whatever. But God's design is for us to access those things naturally. So helping them understand, okay, this is how your nervous system works. Then getting into the brain and that the right side of the brain is the emotional side and the left side is the logical side. And these are all at play with each other. But what else is key is that, you know, we have this really two basic core emotions of fear and love. So if we think about the nervous system, sympathetic is fear parasympathetic is love and it's safety and these have to work together for survival and at the end of the day every human in their life just wants to feel loved we want to feel safe we want to feel cared for it's why we want to achieve in our careers it's why we want to achieve um, and get recognized for things it's why we look at our bank accounts it's, it's all these things it's so belong and matter belong and matter you said it better than me and so you can see the wheels turning as i when with these soldiers and I tell my story, right, of what I've been through. History is who we are, why we are the way we are. And then in order to go forward, we have to look back. 
and we have to look at our foundation because if there's a crack in that foundation and we start building more and more levels on it, it's going to crumble. And you can see the wheels turning because what's so fascinating about the brain is that the right side is the emotional brain. And from a survivability standpoint, the right brain can very easily hijack the left side of the brain for survival. And, and this makes sense in where a soldier will dive on a grenade and take the blast, which is completely illogical. But in that fight or flight moment, the emotion comes on. So sympathetic nervous system, which comes up right here, boom. Not actually, but I just kind of do it like this. Sympathetic nervous system comes on, fight or flight, triggers emotion, hijacks logic. I'm going to dive on that grenade and I'm going to take that explosion, right? Completely illogical, but I'm going to fight the situation to save these guys, okay? And so, and so you can see things clicking. Now we, we dial back a little bit and it's like, okay, let's, let's come down from the war scenario and let's just get into everyday life. So I tell the story of, you know, I'm coming home one day from work and the phone rings and it's my wife and she says, you know, baby, I need you to pick up some oat milk. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I can do that for you. <clears throat> what my baby wants, my baby gets, right? <laughs> and then I keep driving and the phone rings and it's one of my you know, uh, employees and they're like, Hey, we forgot to pay this person. They're all pissed off. We got to deal with this. Right. So then now a little fight or flight. Oh boy. We forgot. Got to deal with this. Call this guy. He yells at me, you know, work it all down. And then what happened on my drive home? Forgot the milk. I forgot the oat milk. Oh, come on, Mo. Attention. To gotta be oat. Has to be oat milk. Mama likes the oat milk in the coffee. <laughs> so forget the milk, the oat milk. And I come into the condo <clears throat> and Rachel looks at me and she says, Where's the oatmeal? And I say, I forgot. And then she begins to get frustrated with me and talk to me disrespectfully. Can you relate to this? Yeah, most men can. And so now I'm feeling disrespect, which makes me feel unloved. Trigger. You're right back to where you were at nine years old, yep. 10 years old. Trigger, fight or flight. And I always tell the soldiers, there's a gun inside every one of you. There's a tricked out M4 ready to put rounds down range inside every one mm. of you. And the trigger is the circumstance or event that makes you go boom. So trigger, fight or flight, emotion, taking over logic. I want to fight you. I want to say things I'm going to regret. I want to do illogical things in this moment. Now, what most people don't know is that my wife grew up in a family where women were second-class citizens. They were not allowed to have a voice. They were less than. Very abusive family. And so Rachel's got a trigger about not feeling heard. So when I forgot the oat milk, I made her feel unheard. And then when she talked to me disrespectfully, I felt unloved. Story of marriage, right? Ingredients for disaster right <laughs> yeah. here. It's brewing. And you don't have to be married to relate to this. Like these are the scenarios that get us going. So it's like you have two people that are poking each other and are in fight or flight. And this is where we begin to work with History is who we are, why we are the way we are. Knowledge, understanding is power. The, the amazing thing about the brain is that if we bring a logical thought and we grab a hold of it in that moment, it can actually take authority back over the emotions. So if in that moment I can condition myself to say, you know what, she's triggered because she doesn't feel unheard. She doesn't feel heard. And because she doesn't feel heard, that's coming up for her, and that's what's triggering me. 
that very act of pattern of thought creates a new pathway for the brain to process through, right? And it's like this level of understanding, yeah, sure, we can go back to our great-grandparents, right? And just, you know, (laughs) suppress all this, but there's so many stories from this previous generations of alcoholism and abuse and neglect and, you know, woman, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, we need to take the science of how God has made the body and use it as power. So, you know, to kind of wrap all this up, this is how we're training soldiers in understanding their history, their body, the way that it works, their mind, their emotions. And that I'll make one more comment here when it comes to suicide, because we have a suicide epidemic. 44 veterans and military members a day are committing suicide. Suicides are up by 25% in the military per the Pentagon. A suicidal thought in the mental health space is actually an escape because it creates a path of where I don't have to deal with this pain anymore. And this is where we tell soldiers, you don't actually want to die. Your brain is just in pain based on everything that I'm teaching you. And this is where we need to bring logic into it that we don't want to die. And this is coming from a person who has struggled with suicidal thoughts throughout his life, right? One, because the enemy wants to kill me because he hates me. And two, because I have these, I have these triggers and these things. And so when that, when that thought comes, it's, you know what? I don't want to die. I'm loved. God loves me. He has a plan for my life. My brain is in pain and I've got some more work to do. When you sit down with these guys and you, you kind of lay this out with them and give them an opportunity to process and they start reflecting and start adding things up, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming, because this happened in my own life through, through times of, of, of therapy or meeting with a counselor, where light bulbs start to go off and maybe some life starts to come back. What, is, what has that been like when you're, when you're sitting down with somebody and working them through this and you start to see that, that flip? I think there's really two flips that we see take place. I would say the greatest connection point emotionally is where we talk about suicide because suicide is just plagued. Pervasive. Gen Z. Everywhere. Which we could talk about forever of why that's happening. But when it comes to their brains being so burned out by the amount of information that they're taking in, it's, it's, it's insane. We take in more information in one day than someone 100 years ago did in their entire lifetime. That's a crazy thought. And, and it's, okay, so you've got, I don't your lap- doubt it. you've got your laptop in front of you. The amount of information you're taking from that, just one screen on your laptop, it would take someone months in the, in the, in the foraging, you know, right. 49er days, right? right? To take in that level of detail. It, does, it didn't exist. And so, you know, even as we got homeboy sitting here on his phone, scrolling away, he's, he's taking in millions of pieces of information. And that is overloading young people's brains, creating pain in the brain. So you can see this, and we talk about the phones, we talk about the technology, and you can see the connection happening of, so this is why I think about killing myself. Oh, and that's a beautiful moment. That's a beautiful moment. The recognition of that. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, when you have a, when you have a, a breakthrough thought or like a, just an aha moment, so this is why I struggle with this. There's nothing wrong with me. This is... My trauma, my past, like all this kind of stuff. That's so fun. And then the other really fun part that we get to experience on a weekly basis. So we do our, we do these trainings. 
invite them to stick around about our faith. We share our testimony and we just invite them to text into our platform. Like if you want to follow us as we're following Jesus and you want to walk with us, text us, text in, right? Which we've had over, you know, 700 soldiers do this so far this year. And, um, you know, so yesterday at Bible study, so we do a weekly Bible study, buy him lunch. And we had a guy come, sat down and he's sitting in Bible study and he had injured his back fixing a Humvee. A piece of equipment fell on him, broke his back. And he's being medically boarded out of the military. So the military has deemed him unfit for service. He's done. And his wife packed up his two kids and left him. Yep. And he leaves the military in two weeks. So we'll have the opportunity to see him three more times before it'll just be digital because he's going to go back to Puerto Rico. He's from Puerto Rico. And we're sitting with this dude and we're talking about faith. And I said, so where are you at in your faith? He said, if you would have asked me that two months ago, I would have said, absolutely non-existent, nothing, no faith. And he said, and I grew up in the church. And this is what we hear all the time. I grew up in the church. I grew up in faith, stuff like that. And then something, God's spirit moved in this person in this training. And then he comes to Bible study because he's got nothing left. And he's like, I'm like 70, 80% there. Like, I'm ready to like follow Jesus. Like, this is in my life. And he's coming, we've got our dinner, we got a dinner tonight that we're doing with a bunch of soldiers, family style, and he's coming to that. And you can see Jesus is illuminating his spirit and his life in this guy. And that is the work that we're seeing again on a weekly basis where it's just this beautiful, you know, connection point between the mental and emotional health space and the power that Jesus can bring in your life. Because there's, there's a, I love the phrase, there's a God-shaped hole inside every one of us. You can keep filling it with whatever you want, but he's the only one that can turn that key, you know. You've talked about the kind of the the strength of our military back, you know, 20 years ago after 9-11 and so many enlisted, such as yourself, all your friends and buddies, 20 years, 15 to 20 years have passed. What is your now? I mean, you're on the you're still on the front lines, but in a different way. Different way yeah. What is your um, observation for the strength of our military today? Yeah. Knowing that these kids that are enlisting are now, you know, twenty, twenty one, yeah, if not younger. What's the state of the union amongst the military? Yeah, it's fun. Um, <clears throat> so you know me, if I'm going to go forward, I got to go back, right? So um, many people don't know that this country. Uh, is only here by miracle after miracle after miracle. And one one of my favorite stories is in the Battle of New York uh, where literally you had, you know, I think it was like 35,000 up to 50,000 British soldiers coming down to like 17,000 Continental Army. It was the only army we had at the time. Washington's there. They've got dysentery. They've got smallpox. They're burned out. They're exhausted. They're starving. And they're backed up to where the modern day Brooklyn Bridge is, right? Backed right up to the river. And the next day, they're planning their final assault to like wipe out our military and the war is over. That night, a fog as, as thick as the clouds settled in and rested on both the camps. And it stayed through the next day where you couldn't see, you couldn't see five feet in front of you. Fog of war. Fog of war. And local sailors, local boats came and 
ferried Washington's army across so that they could escape, regroup. That is a miracle. What Now, that's what history tells us, but if you dig deeper, Washington called his men to pray, to pray, to cry out to God for help, for a miracle. Fast forward to Patton in the Battle of the Bulge. The 101st Airborne is completely pinned down. This is Hitler's last stand. He's pulling a full blitzkrieg where he's literally assaulting everything. This is, this is his last chance. Patton's army is held down by a three-day storm. What did Patton do? Called up the chaplain, make a prayer, sent it out to hundreds, hundred plus thousand soldiers, and they cried out to God. Next day, the weather lifted. They went up there and they smoked Hitler and saved the 101st Airborne. This country was founded and has thrived and survived by faith. And the strength of any country in the history of the world has been measured by its military and what you could do by a military. Now, if you come into our modern day, really, you know, if you go back after World War II, the the real blessing of the Cold War is it gave us the opportunity to build up, you know, the strongest military in the world as we're in this arms race with Russia, which then built up our Navy. And the U.S. Navy is seven times more powerful than all of the other world's navies put together. Don't let any of the propaganda fool you. You see all this, and I get so sick of it, of the propaganda, even pushed by Republicans and conservatives. I'm a raging conservative, but the BS that comes out from conservatives is such trash. <laughs> I got texted this morning of, of a message saying Mark Milley, you know, chief of staff, oh, yeah. that he, um, how did, this was, this was the meme. How does he have so many medals when he never served in a combat zone? I did one Google search just, just for fun, but I already know the answer. Yeah. That dude was in this, he, he ran fifth special forces group. Um, he was in multiple conflicts with, with special forces group long before Iraq and Afghanistan. That dude has been in more combat, like than the majority of people. And it's like, that is just such trash propaganda and it drives me crazy. And that came from a conservative space. You know it did, because they're assaulting him because he's doing some woke things, which right. I'm not going to disregard. But that's my point. So it's like, and I, I see all of it, like all of the propaganda that gets put out about China and their military and like all this build up and like their Navy and all this stuff that they're building and all that. It is, first of all, it's built by communist trash, right? With their ways of building things that are <laughs> right. nowhere near our standards. So the technology doesn't even come close. And, and yeah, so you've got a lot of shifts, but the power is of no um, equivalence. Also, with the, with the Chinese military, um, they don't have the ability to send their ships at the length that, that American ships can. And so this is where, you know, again, propaganda keeps going because if you own the air and the skies and you own the sea, that is what determines the strength of your military. Yes, Marine Corps and Army is extremely important, right, to be able to do things on the ground. But when it comes to geopolitically how you keep and hold power, it's all built off Navy and Air Force. Um, so I, I think that that's just some of the propaganda that we need to sift through of where our military is at techno technologically. And it's going to take <clears throat> a massive shift in the world for America to come back from that. Like we're talking like in the next like 40, 50 years. All right. So I think that's important to say. Now, 
who we have in, in, in power is important because <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, but I want to leave that conversation aside um, and then come back to the people that are serving in the military. So right now, again, 60 plus percent have a passive physical or sexual abuse and about 40% of our, you know, full nation's military is between 18 and 25, which means your Gen Z, about 4% of them have a biblical worldview. That's a massive problem. 96% do not have a biblical worldview. No, <laughs> they don't. Which, you know, hate to toot my own horn, but that's why our work is so important, right? Absolutely. Um, but it's also showing the mindset of, of where we are at. Now, in talking with, you know, soldiers and, you know, that are, and, and folks that are friends with people that are on, you know, these carriers um, that are carrying Marine Expeditionary Forces and things like that, these kids are isolating themselves. They live on screens. Um, and the emotional resourcing is so low. And so from a technology standpoint, do we have the ability to do powerful, unbelievable things? Absolutely. From a, from a morale and a capability standpoint, emotionally, that's what scares me. Yeah, I think that's was the question under the question is really like, where's the morale? Yeah. What's the morale and how, how much of the, the leftist woke smoke has entered into um, young people across the country that are now enlisted into the military. And so now that they are presented with the, the high potential of being deployed, as many have been in the past month uh, to the Middle East yep. in, in preparation for what could be um, a conflict that goes hot, where do they stand? Where is morale? Like, are they ready? Yeah. Is there a readiness there? Not only just you know, tactically, but I'm, I'm talking emotionally. Yeah. Here's, uh, here's something that I think has been a, a massive breath of fresh air for me. So in, in working at uh, Fort Campbell, which is primarily the 101st Airborne, that's your airborne infantry. That's your ground pounders. You know, I am with these guys five days a week. And when I'm doing these trainings, um, and I ask them a question like, what happens when you pull the trigger of a gun and they go, people die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you get those grunt answers. Yeah. You sit there and you go, these guys have an edge. Get it. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you're asking them, you know, why did you join the military? Because I want to kill bad guys. Because I want to fight. Those are the kind of people you want in the military. That's right. <laughs> who want to fight. That's a good thing. And on top of that, I got to know uh, kind of the training schedule. And, and so this, this is kind of fun. Uh, in the 101st Airborne, which falls under the 18th Airborne Corps, which is your 82nd Airborne, your 18th Airborne, or your 82nd Airborne and your 101st Airborne, right? Um, you have to be able to ruck with 40 pounds on your back, 12 miles in three hours. Wow. Okay. Now, <laughs> I, now I keep myself in pretty good shape. It's intense. Yep. I keep myself in pretty good shape. I train a lot. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to test this out. So I said, you know, I'm going to do six miles. I'm going to do a half because they do three sixes, nine and 12. So I'm like, I'm going to do a six. I'm going to put 40 pounds on my back, measure it out, make sure I got all squared away. And I'm going to do this 40 pounds plus your water. Okay. Plus water. In an hour and a half. In an hour and a half. And, and you know, you've got the hills in Tennessee, which they have at Fort Campbell. Okay. Yep. Um, and I put that on my back and I walked as fast as I could, like top speed without running. 
It took me an hour and 36 minutes. So that means that they have to run. And and so I call one of my boys up and I'm like, dude, I just did, it took, it took me an hour 36. Like, what the heck? And he goes, well, did you run? And I said, no. He goes, well, bro, you got to run. <laughs> so they are speed walking and running. Yeah. And if you can't do that, you're not in the club. Wow. And it's like, you know, when it comes to the the physicality and the training, and I mean, we've got, you know, that video we showed on Sunday, um, you know, spe- Specialist Coleman, you know, he can run a two mile in 10 and a half minutes. So just to, to, to provide in the midst of all the negativity and all the bad stats and mm-hmm. all this that just weighs on our brains, I want anyone who's listening to be encouraged. You're ground pounding military guys who are who are literally the ones who are going to be sent in to fight. They have a hua, roger that, kick a mindset. Let's go. <laughs> and they're in shape. <laughs> they're in really good shape. This is encouraging. It is because it's like it. all you hear is, you know, woke this and woke that and all that. But when you get down into the ground, and I'm not talking about Annapolis and West Point and, sure. and some of the stuff that's happening there. I'm talking about the grunts on the ground that are going to take the bullets. Those guys, they're freaking tough. They're well-trained. And their leadership knows, you know, there, there's a reason why you, you go to ranger school, it is harder than it has ever been because those guys know I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to serve with you if you're going to be ranger tabbed. So if that is the case, you have to be squared away. And I think we should all be encouraged by that, that things are not as horrific as the media makes it because everything that we're seeing is built off of fear. All of it. It's all built off of fear. Um, and I also want to say when it comes to America and why America is under such siege is because the devil hates freedom. He hates yeah, it. He thrives in bondage. He thrives in bondage. And you go, I mean, dude, if you go to Pakistan, it's illegal to be gay. If you're gay, they can kill you openly in the street. Also, if you're a Christian, those two, we can murder you openly in the street. Does that sound like freedom? (laughs) And it's just like in America, our ability to choose the life that God has called us to of being a Christian and living it out, right, is an unbelievable thing. And the enemy hates it. And that's why he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy it. This has been such a good conversation. We, I, I'm confident we could easily go another hour. Oh, yeah. Um, Have we got an hour? We we're at an hour. <laughs> I want to bring you back, and I want to really dive into some geopolitical um, scenarios because we've got, we've got three regions that are, that are ramping up. Yeah. And um, so I want to bring you back. I'm going to protect your time because it's Veterans Day weekend, and I you got, get the opportunity. Yeah. You've got work to do up at Fort Campbell. Uh, you said they, the guys get a four-day weekend this week? Yeah, they do. Um, so what 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 is it you're doing this evening uh, yeah. with these guys? Is, is it a typical weekly thing that you do? Yeah, so we typically do it on Fridays. So tonight we're doing dinner family style at a local Mexican place. we got the back room reserved. So we got nice. a ton of our Joes are going to come in. We're going to feed them. We're going to do some you know dinner family style stuff. And then we're going to um, do a quick message and do some discussion. And we really, we refuse to have a come and see model where you just come and, and consume you know, we're into active like parachurch discipleship. So it's discussion, it's prayer. It's like, here's how we're going to activate these spiritual tools. Right. Um, 
and so that's been uh, that's what we'll do tonight. But we normally do it on Fridays. Great man, Veterans Day weekend. These guys get a few days off, mm-hmm. be with family. Yeah. Man, thanks for what you're doing with that community specifically. Yeah, thanks. Your website, engageyourdestiny.com. What can they find out there? Is it dot com or dot org? Dot org. But if you go to com, it'll forward you to org. Okay. Yeah. Engage your destiny. Dot .org. Yeah. If folks want to kind of keep tabs on what you're doing, that's the yeah, best place they can to go. Subcri- they can subscribe there, and we send out regular updates on what God's doing and testimonies and stuff like that. So, Thanks yeah. for being with us today. Yeah, man. If you're tuning in, maybe for the first time, thank you. Um, we just are so grateful to be able to do this podcast, um, both here audibly as you're listening, however you listen to podcasts, and also now visually. We've launched this to our YouTube as well. You can catch up with previous episodes on our YouTube channel. You can find out all the information about what we're doing at conduitchurch.com. And maybe we'll see you next week. <laughs>